This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. There are certain subjects which, let's be honest with ourselves, when they come up at a cocktail party, when a friend brings them up at a Christmas party or around the Thanksgiving table, you do two things. One is you nod as if you understand what they're talking about. And two is you say enough kind of key buzzwords so that people think you know what you're talking about when the reality of the situation is you have no idea what you're talking about. The fact of the matter is that for a lot of people, that subject for the last few years has been cryptocurrency. And cryptocurrency has been talked about more and more. It's gone from being talked about in uh, the world of uh, Wall Street to the world of academics to being talked about everywhere. It's a growing part of our economy. Then, lo and behold, you have this arrest of Sam Bankman-Fried, who, I'll be honest, I think I had kind of heard of before his company went to pot, but I really couldn't have told you much about him. And I didn't really know much about his company or what they did. Sam Bankman-Fried is said to have agreed to be extradited to the United States from the Bahamas. I have talked with a boatload of people, regular, ordinary, everyday people, over the course of the last week, and I'm struck by a couple of things. Almost no one that I've spoken to can actually tell you why Sam Bankman-Fried was arrested and what he actually did wrong. Additionally, every single one of these people has expressed a mix of curiosity and skepticism about what the collapse of FTX and the arrest of Sam Bankman-Fried means for the future of the cryptocurrency economy. Well, I am very pleased to tell you that we have assembled three experts this hour, all of whom have different areas of expertise and all of whom have been very kind to join us in the middle of the night or the middle of the morning, depending on where they are in the world right now. Uh, let me first welcome in studio Adam Want. He is an assistant professor of public policy at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, where he teaches in the college's graduate program in uh, digital forensics and cybersecurity. He's also an attorney and the co-chair of the New York City Bar Association's Committee on Technology, Cyber Cyber and Privacy Law. Adam, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming in. Frank, thank you for inviting me. And let me also welcome uh, across the pond one of our absolute favorites, a gentleman that I have been learning from, talking to, and reading about for many, many years, uh, Simon Constable, journalist, broadcaster, columnist, author of the book, The Wall Street Journal Guide to the 50 Economic Indicators That Really Matter. And I don't think I'm going out on a limb by saying this. In our previous conversations, somebody who has been Kind of skeptical when it comes to the world of cryptocurrency. Simon, it's been too long. How are you? I'm, I'm, very, I'm very well, Frank. I'm, I'm here in the south of France looking at the Pyrenees Mountains in the distance, and it is beautiful. I realize it's dark where you are. The sun has just come <laughs> up here, and it's, it's very beautiful. Not to make you jealous or anything, but uh, I am really happy to be back on the show. I mean, Simon, I really did like you. I mean, I'm sitting here in 34-degree weather. It's dark when I wake up. It's dark when I go to bed. 
Yes, but it's light when you speak, though, because it's always <laughs> fun with Frank. That is what it, the, the, the new name for the show. Talk to uh, to daughter John Casamitidis should be fun with Frank. Uh, it always is. I'll, I'll take Frank. it. I'll take it. We do try to have some fun. Hey, a guy that does talk about some serious issues, but is also uh, not averse to having fun himself, is a fella that I just intellectually and as a as a, as an entertainer and as a, a, a commentator fell in love with, and that's Drew. T- Taylor. He is the founder and CEO of the Wild West Crypto Show and uh, an inventor, a guy that has worn a lot of hats over the years. Most of them have been cowboy hats. Hello, Drew. Hey, Frank. How are you guys doing today? We're doing great. Uh, we want to get to a lot of stuff here. Let's begin with the situation involving Sam Bankman-Fried. Here was uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano, a former New Jersey Superior Court judge, also a legal analyst. He's been a guest on this show several times. He was on his podcast talking about the legal issues that Sam Bankman-Fried is facing. Right now... If he is convicted of every charge against him, you're talking about more than 100 years in jail, which under the federal system would be 80. He's 30 years old. Um, At almost any age, 80, any adult, 80 years uh, is a life uh, sentence. So we'll see what happens. I don't know who his lawyers are. I expect they're very fine lawyers. As you may know, both of Sam's parents are tenured professors at Stanford Law School. So both of his parents are lawyers. His father is the country's, this is interesting, foremost authority on the American tax system, the great Professor Bankman of Stanford Law School. Simon, before we get into the charges uh, themselves, let me begin with you. What exactly is or what was FTX and who was this guy, Sam Bankman-Fried? Well, this guy, Sam Bankman-Fried, seems to have come out of nowhere. Um, I know that's an often used phrase, but he appears to have limited experience in business of any kind. Uh, And then he he pops up and he he founds FTX. And and basically, he's been doing it for three years. And it's, you know, suddenly a multi-billion dollar company. Uh, You know, it may be innovative in in some ways. But he appears not to have been thinking about, OK, it is a financial company now. I've got to think about regulations. And I, and I was actually, as, as you had the, the comments from, um, from Judge Napolitano there, I was thinking about 20 years ago, I was asked to start a new business line, which was financial and would serve financial clients. And at that time, Elliot Spitzer, the then attorney general in, in New York, was going around basically snapping up people who weren't obeying the rules. And we didn't know what the rules were, just like Sam Bankman mm. Fried didn't know, probably didn't know what the rules are because they haven't been mapped out yet because it hasn't been litigated properly and fully yet. I just advised my team at the time to be as conservative in everything they did as possible because we didn't want anyone pointing fingers at us to say, okay, you, you, you're, you're guilty of malfeasance. We're always going to be transparent, clear, and the most conservative approach we could. And I think that that may be the error that Sam Bankman-Fried has, has made in this thing. It doesn't look like it was a thorough effort to keep everything transparent, clear, conservative, you know, sedate, nothing wild, nothing too new. Nothing, nothing, no, no, no real inventions. If you follow what I'm saying, you just don't want to be messing with the government when it comes to financial matters. And that may, and may be what's happened. But he's built this, built this company up with very little experience. And we've seen what's happened. We saw what happened 20 years ago during the dot-com bubble when you had very inexperienced CEOs. You also saw with Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, a very inexperienced CEO, brought in Sheryl Sandberg, who had some some ability to help run the company in a professional way. I think that may be the root of this problem. So I want to get into the charges in a second uh, with uh, with Adam. Here was Anthony Scaramucci on Sid and Friends on WABC, who was uh, Anthony Scaramucci, in addition to being the White House communications director for 11 days, also has worked on Wall Street, been involved in a lot of different companies over the years, and has actually worked with Sam Bankman-Fried. He was on with Sid Rosenberg talking about Bankman-Fried. Uh, he is innocent until proven guilty, of course. But if you're asking me a point-blank question, based on my knowledge, based on my information, direct non-hearsay information, 
He did something very, very long, very, very wrong, and he's going to be in jail for a very long time. Adam, what exactly did he do? The thing that I think some people are confused about is whether or not this was a straight-up Madoff-style Ponzi scheme or whether he didn't know certain things, as Simon just alluded to, might have cut some corners, might have been sloppy, and might have been sort of uh, a, a victim in some respects of the lack of regulation in this sector. I think Sam, Sam Bankman-Fried wants you to think that he was inexperienced. I think in his media interviews he has done over the past couple of weeks, we've heard him say that he was naive and make mistakes. And I, I think that's understandable that people could make mistakes when they don't have a lot of business experience. But what the government is alleging, what the court-appointed bankruptcy monitor is alleging – is that this was a scheme of fraud from the start and that he didn't have certain protections in place in order to protect himself because those protections would not have allowed him to continue his fraud. Uh, Drew, uh, were you familiar with FTX? What was FTX as a company supposed to be doing? Well, I, you know, I have to tell you, they appeared out of nowhere. And it's like, uh, like Adam just said, you know, three years ago, all of a sudden he pops up. But if you begin to peel back the layers of the onion and look of the origins, his parents, as Simon said, and the connections, he's an MIT, he's a very intellectual. He's the poster child, in my opinion, for the not my fault uh, millennials that we have nowadays. And there was an opportunity that came up. And I think that he's nothing more than a puppet and that the marionettes that are managing this saw away in this unregulated global uh, ability for a Ponzi scheme, they could go and put him in there as a very intelligent kid, as a figurehead, and then kind of utilize that to fund. It was a playpen of money. It was drug money from the 80s. I mean, it's incredible. They got on my radar about two and a half years ago. And uh, I began to kind of watch them. And even when I was at Consensus in Austin in August of this year, I talked with a bunch of their people and nothing about that whole organization smelled right. And now, you know, here we are just a few months later, it wasn't right. Yeah, it seems like this is one of those things where everybody in hindsight points out that uh, there was a lot of fishy things going on. But at the time, it seems there were very few people actually pointing that out. Well, I want to follow up on what uh, you said there, uh, Drew Taylor. Congressman Lee Zeldin was on the Fox News channel, and he talked about the timing of this arrest. I don't find it a coincidence that he was arrested last night. It did deprive uh, the opportunity of these questions to be asked over the course of these hours. Uh, and if you're trying to put together a case against Sam Bankman-Fried, why not let him take the oath today, answer the questions for hours, and, and then arrest him? Who knows what else you might learn over the course of today's questions? Uh, for anybody that wants to answer this, uh, what is the answer to Congressman Lee Zeldin? Why would they arrest him right before he slated to testify before Congress? Wouldn't the public, wouldn't Congress have benefited from hearing what he had to say? Anybody that wants to take that, be my guest. Yeah. I will tell you, absolutely, if you think about it, they made a sacrificial lamb out of him. And what was going to happen is he was going to go out there and sing like a canary, and he's heavily tied politically. And through, you know, we'll find out the money laundering, look at the look at where the money has come from and where it's gone. And all of a sudden, how do you shut up this canary? <laughs> you file charges and arrest him. Uh, Simon, what's your take on the timing of the arrest? Just a coincidence, or do you think uh, there was something strategic at play here? Well, I know that a lot of politicians are, are very aware that, they're very, that they are very unpopular with their constituents as a whole. I mean, um, it's when people go to the polls every two years or every year sometimes, they're unhappy, and this is certainly a way to deflect attention away from that. Can I, can I just go on a, a slight tangent here, but it is very relevant. Crypto is a new financial innovation, and we've had financial innovations over the years, and every time there is a financial innovation, there tends to be some sort of financial mess immediately. And, and I'll give you examples. The tulip mania. Right. If you go back to Holland in the 1600s, that 
you know, involved allegations of fraud, of malfeasance, of trickery, and it became the basis for the futures market, which we now rely on in the U.S. and, and, and the West. Then you have the South Sea bubble, which was also happening at the same time as the Mississippi bubble, which was the basically the invention of corporations which had limited liability. And again, allegations of fraud and all the rest of it. And you go on and every every few you know, decades there's something new. So paper money in France at the beginning of the 1700s, that, sorry, at the end of the 1700s, that was a mess too. And, and France didn't innovate much financially after that. And, and you come to this one and people don't really know the rules, just like they didn't at the beginning of all those other innovations. And it takes mess ups for those rules to be determined and what, what's the right amount to pay for cryptocurrency and why and what, what should the rules be, what makes sense for these rules um, to, be, to be in place and what, what rules are actually antagonistic to innovation. If you, if you follow what I'm saying here, does that make sense? that this is what's happening. So you always get some somebody being pointed at in these things. Now, I don't know whether Sam Bankman-Fried is, is guilty or not. If it was a fraud, that's a terrible, terrible thing. We, we lived through the Bernie Madoff thing. That was terrible too. But I throw that back to you is that this is the Wild West because the rules haven't been established yet, just like it was all those centuries ago. Uh, Adam, you know, you heard Judge Napolitano reference the fact that uh, Sam Bankman-Fried's uh, parents are are law professors here. Do we think that his parents had any role in building up this business? And are they potentially culpable for any malfeasance at all, from what we could tell? You know, it's clear that his father had a role to play in the building up of the company. We saw him on stage. We saw him promoting the company. We saw him doing cheerleading for the company. The depth of how much he was involved with, who knows? We're going to find out, obviously, over time. I'm sure the Justice Department, the FBI, are looking at his involvement, reviewing communications, serving subpoenas, trying to figure out exactly how much uh, he put into whatever went wrong. But um, don't know about his mother, but it's clear that this was certainly a family affair. Let me uh, ask you another legal question. Uh, this, you know, we, we've seen during the Super Bowl and a bunch of other high profile media events, a number of celebrities, including uh, the guy that a lot of people think is the greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady, affix their endorsement and their name behind FTX. Brady, the best ever, right? But he's not thinking about being the best. He wants to be better. Couldn't be better. I could do better. He can do better. He wants to practice better. Ouch. That's better. That was better. Recover better. Thanks, Tom. He even wants to eat better. Can I take your order? Steak. Steak. I'll have their parsley. Yum. So you know he's going to invest better, too. FTX, that's the crypto app, right? Now it's for all kinds of investing. It's better. I like better. Because the best are never done getting better. A lot of people are talking about going after these celebrities that took money to appear in these commercials to endorse FTX. Adam uh, and the people just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Adam Want. He's a, uh, a professor at John Jay College, also an attorney with a lot of experience in this sector. Are these celebrities potentially culpable here? Are they potentially liable for endorsing something that might have turned out to be criminal? There are a handful of celebrities right now that are in a whole bunch of pain, and they're in a whole bunch of pain because they don't know whether the public is going to try to sue them or hold them liable um, in order to get you know some sort of compensation from them. Whether they committed securities fraud by not disclosing that this was investment advice uh, is probable. There were a bunch of celebrities um, uh, rallying against crypto companies that didn't properly identify that this was investment advice, um, and and they could be you know civilly liable uh, to the U.S. government through the SEC, but we know and we've seen in the news that members of the public are looking to litigate against a lot of these celebrities, and as we all know, very often celebrities will settle and they don't want to go through a long drawn out case. So these celebrities must be very stressed out right now trying to figure out what's about to happen to them. Uh, Drew Taylor from the uh, Wild West Crypto Show. You are a master maybe not of uh, legalese but uh, certainly of perception. What do you think the association with FTX does to these celebrities? Does that hurt their brand going forward or is it a blip on the radar screen? Well, 
I, you know, Frank, absolutely. Uh, what's interesting about this, as we talk about cryptocurrency being in the wild, wild west, which it really is, hence I named the show that six years ago. Um, influencers, this is also a new trend that would, there are very few rules on. And so when Kim Kardashian wears, carries some purse, all of a sudden the sales go through the roof. Um, my wife and I were watching a show recently. Jennifer Lopez was on there and she was wearing a pair of glasses. My wife says, find out what those glasses are. I want them. You have these influencers that don't necessarily know anything about the product that they are out there promoting, and they get paid heavily. I mean, we've got Kevin O'Leary got paid $15 million to talk well about FTX, but they only know on the surface, a lot of it's motivated by money. And so now all of a sudden, especially in the, in the crypto space, there have been so many uh, uh, creators, content creators that have gone out there and I get reached out to on my show have for years all the time. Will you promote this? Will you promote this? Will you promote this? And they're always offering something. And I decided early on that we were just going to be a voice and give anybody eight minutes of fame. And, you know, I'm pimping my show, but I was one of the very few people that said, we're not going to support any product, allow these people to go out there and live and die by their own words. And what's been interesting is the number of people, and I'm talking about crypto influencers that I know very well and personally that are now looking at this. And, and there's been a lot of mea culpa saying, guys, let's not get out there and push projects we don't know anything about. I think the thing, I think rules will come into play for these influencers that go out and promote products. And there's got to be guidelines there as there needs to be with this wild west of cryptocurrency. Uh, by the way, we are going to take some questions if people have questions about cryptocurrency 800-848-9222 that's 800-848-9222 let me ask you this uh, simon constable uh, wall street journal when this had all come crashing down several of the right-leaning commentators most notably tucker carlson but many others had had some fun with the fact that uh, bankman freed had made a lot of big donations to the Democrats. And Bankman Freed was asked about this in some interviews. And uh, Sam said, well, wait a minute. It's not just the Democrats. I have no problem giving money to Republicans, too. We just don't report that as widely. I donated to both parties. They donated about the same amount to both parties this year. That was not generally known because despite Citizens United being literally the highest profile Supreme Court case of the decade and the thing everyone talks about when they talk about campaign finance, for some reason, in practice, no one can possibly fathom the idea that someone in practice actually gave dark. So, I don't know, all my Republican donations were dark. Uh, um, and the reason was not for regulatory reason. It's because reporters freak the f*** out if you donate to a Republican. They're all super liberal and didn't want to have that fight. So I just made all the Republican ones dark. Um, but I was, whatever, second or third biggest Republican donor this year as well. Both was all for the primary. They didn't give anything to general options. They don't give a about general options. It's not what matters. Like it's the primaries where the where you good candidates against bad candidates. Simon, we're hearing from Drew and others that it should have been pretty obvious to everybody paying attention that there was something wrong with this company. What role do you think this uh, these donations to politicians played in allowing him to build up his uh, his sort of uh, financial empire and sort of his media profile? It's a, it's a very good question. First of all, I would say I find campaign contributions to to Congress or congressional you know, members of the, the Senate or the House of Representatives to look distinctly dodgy. Do you, do you think uh, Lionel Messi, uh, when re winning the World Cup, gave a donation to the referee? The government is the referee in finance, right? And giving any money to the government as a campaign donation looks like, to me at least, I'm not saying it's illegal, but to me at least it looks like you're trying to tilt the scales mm -hmm. in, your, in your direction. So I, I'm not a big fan of that. But the reality is that if you're a financial company and a big one, and it did get big very quickly, you need to be making sure that everyone in Congress is happy. Otherwise, you're going to get nowhere. So I think it looks bad. I don't know the reality of whether anyone got the, you know, any any member of of, of Congress got got the money from FTX and then said, oh great, we better we better go do this for them. I don't know, and that involves getting in someone's inside someone's head or litigating or, or the rest of it. But you, you wonder, you can understand, I think, that it doesn't look very good. Sure. You, you don't you don't go to the referee and say, hey, I've got you a Lamborghini. It's just a small gift.
You know, <laughs> I mean, it looks right. Yeah. You wouldn't do that in the World Cup. Why would you do that in business? Now, the fact is that 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 ship has sailed in American business. If you're a big company, you're making donations to everybody. I think it was odd that he he wants to, he doesn't want transparency, and that goes to my thing about you've got to be transparent. He said we're doing this, and this is why, and this is what we were thinking, and here's how it complies with the law. Transparency really helps in business, and it helps protect you. Um, if things go wrong and things do go wrong in business and that's not a crime, but not being transparent makes it really hard for you to defend, to defend yourself. All right. Well, uh, the million dollar question or the 10 Bitcoin question is what does this all mean for the future of cryptocurrency? We're going to get into it in a moment with Simon Constable, Drew Taylor and Adam Want. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Frank Moreno, uh, we have assembled an all-star panel of uh, cryptocurrency experts and opinion leaders. Simon Constable, journalist, broadcaster, and author of the book, The Wall Street Journal Guide to the 50 Economic Indicators That Really Matter. Drew Taylor, entrepreneur, founder and CEO of Wild West Crypto and an inventor. Uh, Adam Want, professor of public policy at John Jay College, attorney here in New York, and the co-chair of the New York City Bar Association's Committee on Technology, Cyber, and Privacy Law. We're going to take your questions in a moment, 800-848-9222. We've seen the price of Bitcoin, which is the leading cryptocurrency fall. We've seen it diminish considerably over the course of the last year. And a lot of folks are wondering if this whole FTX situation is finally the house of cards collapsing. And is this showing to the world with a lot of skeptics have claimed for a long time, which is cryptocurrency is just one giant scam. Let me begin with you, Adam. What does this whole FTX issue mean in your view for the future of cryptocurrency? Frank, this is excellent for the future of cryptocurrency. It is what we needed to happen. Simon pointed out a couple of minutes ago that before every great advancement in markets, there was a disaster, there was a collapse. And we know that crypto is the wild, wild west. We need Congress to step in. We need the SEC to step in, some other government agencies with regulations and rules to make sure that crypto is above board, that U.S. markets are above board, that there are regulations in place at all times to prevent something like this from happening again. And, you know, it, it's, it makes me feel a little more comfortable. Bitcoin and Ethereum were trading pretty much an all-time low right before this happened. And once XT, FTX crashed, they really didn't go down too much. They went down like an additional 10%. One would expect that if this was truly a disaster, those prices would have truly crashed, and they did not. They stabilized around $16,000 per Bitcoin. They were trading at about 19 before this happened. So I think that this is good, and I think that we have a period of time in front of us where the federal government could put regulations and rules into place. What sort of regulations, what sort of rules would you want the federal government to institute? We need to treat companies like FTX and U.S. markets like financial institutions where they have to follow the same rules as major financial institutions. The fact that there was no internal controls at FTX, the fact that they used QuickBooks to do their taxes, the fact that they didn't have human resources or external audits, for example, these are the things that need to be put in place to make sure that legitimate exchanges are able to run properly so that people are not defrauded. Drew Taylor, agree, disagree? What do you think this means for the future of crypto? 
I have to tell you, I agree completely with Adam. L- listen, regulation comes after innovation happens. We didn't ha- we didn't go and build roads and stoplights with automobile. You build the automobile, you find out what the problems are, and then you put up the roads and the stoplights. And in the cryptocurrency space, it is the future of money, whether people like it or don't like it. The governments are afraid of it because they don't know that they can regulate it like they need to. But really, you put the locks on the doors, not for the thieves, because the real thieves are going to break the locks. You put it on their as as the guidelines or the guideposts for the honest people and what will it is it's going to be required for there to be a framework of global regulation global regulation for cryptocurrencies and blockchain and what they bring to this uh in order for the big money to ever get into this we're at about that four to five percent adoption right now which is typically where you see a technology go parabolic and i think that now all of a sudden the eyes on this the concerns that people have we will see this framework of regulation come into place uh this the stop flights and the roads and everything else and i think it's going to be phenomenal for the future of digital assets simon constable the uh, crypto cynics in our audience are counting on you to add a little bit of balance to this uh drew sounds pretty <laughs> bullish. Adam sounds pretty optimistic about the future of crypto. What do you think this means for the future of cryptocurrency? Well, two two things. One is that the regulation will help put put this through. So the, the collapse of FTX will be a turning point for crypto. The worry that I have is that the vested interest, which means the massive banks on Wall Street, some of whom got bailed out back in 2009, they may want to regulate crypto out of existence um, because they can afford. So a bank like JP Morgan, like Goldman Sachs, you know, th- those huge organizations can afford any level of, of, of legislation and regulations, any level. You can throw it at them. They've got teams of tax attorneys, of lawyers, of people to fill out forms. It doesn't matter. They will do what they will do. But smaller companies, which might still be big and wanting to innovate, could be regulated out of existence. And that could be that could be a big problem because while I'm, I'm not that thrilled with the idea of investing in cryptocurrencies because I think I'm not really sure what the value is, I am rather impressed by the blockchain technology particularly to keep records of, of when things change. So if you think about your, when you buy and sell a house, if you had a, a blockchain record of what was done to the house, when it was bought, who bought it, what price was paid, et cetera, et cetera, that wasn't on paper, that wasn't easy to manipulate or change, that could be very good. It could be very good for accounting, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and also distributing money on on fixed um, you know fixed value money via blockchain could be very useful too to to get it to people who need it rather than people who just want it. So you know there's there's a lot going on here, but I'm I'm a bit worried that the banking lobby is going to come in hard and basically crush any innovation. And that could happen. It um, it's happened in other instances, not just not the banking lobby necessarily, but with other other industries. I'm struck by one of the things Simon said, and uh, begin with you, uh, Drew, because I think you've done well in the crypto sphere and you've certainly commented on it for a long time. Um, In terms of what underlying value Bitcoin, Ethereum or any of these cryptocurrencies have, people always ask the question, well, why is what is Bitcoin work worth? What's it backed up by? And the rejoinder from people that are supportive of cryptocurrency is what's the U.S. dollar backed up by? The answer, though, is the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, which may not be what it used to be in terms of value, but at least that's something. Why do any of these cryptocurrencies have any value? It is to some extent the value of all these cryptocurrencies just whatever people are willing to pay for it, Drew? Well, I, I think uh, heretofore it has been. Let me echo something that Simon said. And as a free market capitalist, regulation scares the crap out of me. But you have to have some framework of regula- regulation. And those in this decentralized you know, financial space are afraid of what the people in power and money are going to do to this. So now let me to defer uh, to your answer. Right now, I have to tell you, of just around 13,000 cryptocurrencies, there's been a couple of hundred thousand created. Most of them are gone. But of the 13,000 cryptocurrencies out there still trading, there is no intrinsic value really in almost any of them. Now, what's so funny about uh, another comment Simon made, with the blockchain, 
And I see the cryptocurrencies themselves. I do believe that the prophetic one world uh, currency is going to end up being some sort of digital asset. And I don't know that it exists yet. I certainly don't believe it'll be Bitcoin. But what we're going to what we're seeing more with cryptocurrency itself is a, in, in my opinion, a reward system. So right now, if you look at American Airline miles and how you can trade them and how you can use them or whatever, almost every business out there, especially in the U.S., has a reward system. And that's where I really see the utility of cryptocurrencies. And I actually believe, I think we're going to see in the next 10, 12, 15 years, in, in the year 1900, there was 2,000 automobile manufacturers in the United States. And through attrition and merger and acquisition and everything else, and with the assembly line, it whittled down to, you know, the top five. And now you look at it. I believe that over the next 12 to 15 years, we'll see cryptocurrencies get down to probably 100 of them. And they'll have different real use cases. But, you know, we're early, early in this tech and the Internet was invented for email. <laughs> That's true. Adam, how do people know if they're investing in a sound cryptocurrency or some fly-by-night uh, cryptocurrency that Matt Blaze created in his basement? There are so many fly-by-night cryptocurrencies that people invent in their basement. It's crazy. And we just heard some of those numbers. And in, in my opinion, um, I will only look for the major cryptocurrencies that are out there, the ones that have been around for a good deal of time, the ones that have been vetted, the ones that are trading on markets um, like Robinhood, for example, which I'm a big fan of. Um, to me, uh, I'm not looking if for investment purposes. I'm not looking at the smaller cryptocurrencies that people come out with and that you think are going to go up 5,000% in the next three or four days. I, I feel bad for people that do that because they very often wind up losing a lot of money. To me, and, and this isn't investment advice. This is just my own learned mm -hmm. opinion. To me, you know, if, if you want to invest in cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, Ethereum, the true tested ones that have been around for a long time that will probably have value in the next few years are the way to go. Like Ethereum is the most useful cryptocurrency out there. There's so much like NFTs now being based on Ethereum and the Ethereum standard, and it supports something called smart contracts, which is a really cool feature. But you asked a second ago, why is this worth any money whatsoever? Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, you know, why are baseball cards or Bugattis or gold or diamonds worth anything? And the answer is there's limited supply of all of these things, and they're shiny, and people want them. So when people want something, they're willing to value date it at a certain amount and pay a certain amount for it, and then that's where the value comes from. Um, can I just jump? Can I yeah, just please, can ahead, I just Simon. jump in yeah. here one moment on on the the gold thing? You're absolutely right. I mean, what 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 is the value of gold? However. Gold is, is not like baseball cards or crypto. Gold has a 5,000-year role uh, as a monetary asset. Crypto doesn't even have two decades as a monetary asset, right? You see what I'm saying? It's not, it's not been tried out for a very long time. It could go the way of Beanie Babies. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, – let me – something that all of you have touched upon is use cases. And I actually got this an interesting email here from a listener who emailed me as we're speaking. He said, uh, where does one buy crypto? Where does one sell crypto? How is a crypto coin similar to a quarter, for example? What's the minimum purchase? How does one use crypto to make a purchase of a sandwich, a laptop, a car? I have a friend who's a, an attorney, and he's always talking about how he has some clients that have hired him for legal work, and they're always trying to pay him in crypto. And he said, no, you know, I prefer to be paid in dollars because I can use that to buy stuff stuff it still is it's tougher to just buy things in crypto i uh i know mayor eric adams got his first couple of paychecks in cryptocurrency but it, i still kind of prefer my paycheck in dollars he didn't eric adams did not get his first couple well, he of transferred them. he transferred yeah. them because it was illegal to pay him in cryptocurrency mm -hmm. and the truth is is you're 100 percent right it's really hard to take cryptocurrency and buy commercial items from it and there are I, – I think one of the first purchases that was made with Bitcoin was pizza, for example. It was a pizza order online. Right. But the average person – and this is, this is a, a fault of our system at this time. The average person can't take the crypto in their wallet and turn it into a pizza. Even though the processes are there, it's really hard to do it, and it's a really boutique type of thing. And there are ways, but you know, no one's going to do that. 
It's an investment vehicle. It's something that can be turned into cash through exchanges. And that's what FTX and many other exchanges did. They helped that process of taking crypto and turning it into money in and out of your checking account. All right. A lot of people have questions for you guys. I'm not going to monopolize you. Uh, Carlotta is in Rhode Island. Hello, Carlotta. Hi. Uh, Well, in answer to your question, Frank, uh, Coinbase is is an easy way to do that. But my question is, how does one learn about blockchain, blockchain trading? I have been to every university here in Rhode Island. I know so little. And and what you said about Robinhood, yes, you can buy, but it's sort of boring. I would like to learn. I have some. I have all my passwords, but my husband developed cancer and died during the. Oh, sorry. Period, so thank you. So you know, I I have my passwords, but I've sort of lost my addresses. Uh, I'm only talking about at the time it was maybe five hundred dollars. Now maybe it's four because we did okay. But I would love to learn. And there's, uh, it's such, it's almost a language unto itself to to buy and to have less gas and less fees. There's no college that even for adults or it's all. Part uh, uh, Carlotta, of, it's a great, it's a great question, um, Drew. Let me begin with you. If someone is a beginner, and I consider myself very much a beginner, but they're interested in learning either about the basics of cryptocurrency or the basics of blockchain technology or where those two areas intersect, where would you tell them to start? Carlotta, me, where's the first place we should go? You know what's interesting and, and, and disappointing about that is, as many people are out there supposedly educating. On, in the cryptocurrency space, there is no real curriculum that goes mm-hmm. in and says these are the one, two, threes to getting started in crypto. From the time I got in, I'm an OG in this space. I started following Bitcoin in 2013. To to me, there's light years. I mean, it's like the Model T to the cars we have today, the innovation. But it has so far to go for the regular person. And I, I, I myself, I mean, I mentor people to try to help them to get into it. But it is a uh, there's a big learning curve into that, no differently than there was in many other technologies. Once you get it becomes familiar to you and these real techies that are out there trying to impart the wisdom of cryptocurrency and how it works and how you get it and trade it and buy it, what you look for, how you do your own research, because that's where regulation is going to help so that people can't go in and make uh, ridiculous decisions. The other thing that Carletta just mentioned is, uh, you know, if you don't have your keys, you don't have your crypto. And what they mean by that is, is that entrusting the custody of this to something else. Listen, uh, for many, many years, most uh, currency is digital currency. If you go to your bank and you try to take, you know, 100 grand out of Wells Fargo, they probably don't have the cash. So it's most cryptos or most currencies are transmitted digitally, but there does need to be Someone will emerge that goes in and technology will make the process easier and there will be some education vehicle that helps people get into the space. I mean, and and I will tell, let me just one more thing. I manage my mother-in-law's retirement account. Fidelity now has a couple of options. Hmm. Lost Drew there. Adam, you're a teacher. Um, Do you find students that you're dealing with have some sort of basic education when it comes to the blockchain? And if people are eager to learn, where do you send them? You know, that's a a loaded question with me because I teach in a a technical program. So, yeah, most of my graduate students coming in, they know a lot about blockchain technology. They know a lot about uh, cryptocurrency. They've been playing with it for years. Uh, When when somebody new comes to me and says, how do I learn about this? Uh, You know, I said it before, I think Robinhood's a great platform to buy cryptocurrency on because you don't need to worry about your keys. You don't need to be a custodian of your own cryptocurrency. It holds it for you as a market would. And and they have a lot of videos online that teach about it. So I think something as simple as YouTube or Wild Wild West Crypto Podcast, you know, those are really good places to go to learn. Uh, hey, uh, Simon Constable, you alluded to the fact that you're you impressed with the possibilities of the blockchain beyond currency. What else can you see the blockchain be using being used for in the near future? Well, you could have medical records. Um, I think that could be very, very useful way to to do it. Um, to you know, if you want one place for your medical records and all the stuff going back to when you were born, that could be. A really useful thing and you could see when things have changed and get the history there one of the problems is when you go to a hospital oftentimes they have to start again 
say, hi, Frank, we know nothing about you. Mm-hmm. Let's, mm-hmm. <laughs> let's get your history. And that might be while you've got you know, your head gashed in and you're bleeding. So it's, you're probably not the best person to ask about that medical record. So, and then medical records can be changed and lost, and they, they frequently are. My understanding is that blockchain um, ex- exists and you put a new piece onto it and a new piece and a new piece and a new piece, and it can't be altered in, in any way. Now, you can reverse something, but that shows up in the record, and that's very useful. And I think that could really help with things because how much time is wasted when you, when you go in to see the doctor or something by them asking your medical history, right. which they could have had on something you know, that was just absolutely indelible, not unchangeable, but just, you know, the history of it indelible could be very useful as long as it's kept confidential. And I think that would would be very good. I mean, getting getting the bureaucracy out of the healthcare system could be, you know, it could be worth, you know, gazillions, gazillions of bitcoins. Um, Can I jump in for a second? Please, yeah. You know, blockchain itself, what is it? It's a tamper-resistant record management system. You want to know where that's useful? Voting records. Mm -hmm. Building a voting system that self-authenticates itself, that can't be easily tampered with, that can't be thrown off. I think if you want to know where blockchain would be really good, it's in our voting system. You know, Bradley Tusk, who was Mike Bloomberg's campaign manager and the deputy governor of Illinois, has made that same point about uh, blockchain voting being a great secure way of uh, having people vote in the future. Go ahead, Drew. Yeah. Uh, you know what? And I want to echo and I think y'all lost me a couple of minutes ago. Yeah. Let me echo a couple of use cases that that people can look at and make sense to them. Voting. Absolutely. If you look at it, the Defense Department has lost two trillion dollars. If that accounting were all in the blockchain, we could account for every penny of it. When you look at autom- automobile titles. This is where NFTs come into blockchain, come into that movement of money. When you look at right now, and they advertise all the time, and it's deeds to homes, where we people will go in and with an immutable record that is in the blockchain using NFTs. Right now, we use a technology we've been using for 70 years called the barcode. And it's really, the barcode is great and it'll show you what inventory shows to be in there. But with NFTs and these smart contracts, you don't think you have this number of items in the back. You know exactly how many of those items you have in the back of a store because they're tied to an NFT. And this is where this technology in the next you know few years, we're going to see incredible advancement in record keeping, in transparency of that record keeping. Let me tell you, early, early in this show, it was announced that South Africa, one some uh, government there was going to adopt blockchain for the record keeping. And the Grand Puba stepped down and fled the country because he knew that the transparency that would come in there couldn't be messed with. Hmm. Voting, absolutely. The tech is out there. It ought to be used right away. All right. I've uh, got to take a quick break. We'll continue and get to more of your questions in a moment. 800-848-9222. Simon Constable is here. Drew Taylor is here. And Adam Want is here. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. singing Money Grabber. I've heard they're actually going to be performing at uh, New Year's Rockin' Eve with Ryan Seacrest this year. That's going to be exciting. Uh, talking about cryptocurrency, we'll squeeze in as many of your questions as we can. Uh, Simon Constable is here, Drew Taylor is here, and Adam Want is here. Let me begin with David in the Bronx. Hello, David. Yes, good morning. Uh, my question involves Elon Musk and crypto. Now, I'm sure you all remember, he built up a particular crypto coin for months using Twitter and other social media and then went on a TV show and basically tanked it. Now, is that, should that be legal? Because a lot of people like myself 
lost money because of that. And I'm sure he probably made billions. Should the government get involved in a situation like that? That was Dogecoin, right? Was that Dogecoin? Yes, it was. Yeah, okay. Uh, let me yeah. begin with you, Simon. Any thought about Elon Musk, who obviously with his purchase of Twitter ha- continues to expand his influence, and Elon Musk's embrace of crypto in general and Dogecoin specifically? Well, I, I know that in the stock market and the securities market, which includes the, the bond market, uh, it's it's not uh, it's not necessarily smiled upon. It's more frowned upon to be seen to manipulate markets, although that is a very hard thing to prove. So that would be something that the uh, the regulatory authority would have to take on. And right now, I don't see a regulatory authority there. Um, that would be the SEC in the case of uh, of um, bonds and stocks. There's kind of nothing there really for, um, for for crypto, so I don't know quite how that that would would work. It would be very much like saying, um, "Well, I think there's not going to be enough water in the world to drink us all," and then suddenly the price of water going up. Um, how does that, you know, how does talking about the supply of water, ref, ref, you know, get regulated? Mm-hmm. How does that talk get regulated? It's not it's not a regulated industry, and Bitcoin isn't necessarily. A regulated industry yet, as far as I understand. Uh, Drew Taylor, Elon Musk, and uh, his role in terms of crypto. Where do you see it going? Yeah, you know, I, and this this is one of those examples. And I mentioned this earlier, and that is there needs to be a framework of regulation or rules for people that are influencers. Because again, let's get away from crypto. But if uh, you know, should some superstar come out there with a purse that is made in China by slave labor, mm. they've gone out and pressed this. Does that mean they support slave labor? No, it doesn't. They probably didn't have a clue what was going on. So there does need to be some of this regulation in there. What I found interesting about Dogecoin from the time it came out and had people asking me about it it's another one of these uh coins that we they call crap coins but it's another one of these coins that comes out that has no use case or no intrinsic value to it it simply had elon musk going and saying i'm going to do something with us some people made a bunch of money but if you tried to catch that falling knife on the way down a bunch of people lost money so as there needs to be a framework of regulation in cryptocurrency there also needs to be some guidelines for people that are influencers i do think there's a responsibility to go say you should go do this and use this i stand behind it adam we'll give you the last word did elon musk uh manipulate the crypto markets absolutely in my opinion without a doubt did he make a ton of money off of it absolutely in my opinion Do we need regulations to prevent that from happening? Without a doubt. This has been a lot of fun. I learned a lot. Hope you did, too. Let's do this again soon. Adam Wand, Simon Constable, and Drew Taylor. A lot of other stuff to get to over the course of the next hour. Uh, 800-848-9222. Until then, your influence counts. Make sure you use it.